Satan attacks marriage. Adam and Eve, lost, okay? Grace and Mark Driscoll, lost. Every person and couple in the history of the world has lost. Mm -hmm. The good news is Jesus won your war. Amen. This is the good news. And what this means is you don't need to be tough. You need Jesus. You don't need to try harder. You need Jesus. You don't need to do better. You need Jesus. You don't need to win your war. You need Jesus who won your war. Well, howdy, y'all. This is the Real Marriage Podcast with Mark and Grace Driscoll. Our story is not perfect. Our marriage is not perfect. But thankfully, our God is perfect. Well, Mark, today we share the story of our first date. It was probably the greatest first date anyone has ever been on. Our friends listening are really going to love this one. Let's do it. The storyline of the Bible is wedding, then war. Satan doesn't even show up till Adam and Eve are first married. And so let's talk about, since we're talking about spiritual warfare, let's talk about our first date and our first fight would just so happen to be the exact same thing. <laughs> Remember our first date? Yeah, it was your fault. Okay, you know what, gentlemen, just so you know, this is the big idea of the Royal Marriage Podcast. It's our fault. Just write that down. I'll tell you that's a great, great help. So first date, we were 17 years of age, March 12th, 1988. Long time ago. Long time ago. I was a Jack Catholic, not walking with Jesus. You were a pastor's kid who wasn't walking with the Lord. I picked you up in a 1956 Chevy. It was a four-door with 60,000 total original miles. I sold it because it was a four-door. I've regretted it every day since. And uh, do you remember where we went and what we did for first date? We went downtown to the city, the big city. Big city. For an exciting date. And we were going to walk along the waterfront and go to dinner in an expensive restaurant, Red Robin. Because and- <laughs> <laughs> I was fancy. I was 17, though. Red yeah, Robin that was, was a big deal at that That was age. a big deal. Yeah. That was a big deal. So our big fancy first date, we walk along the waterfront. So far, so good. How, honestly, how did you feel? I'll be honest. I felt a little nervous. I thought you were adorable and I didn't want to mess it up. I was super nervous because you were super popular and everybody knew who you were. And what were you doing with me, the shy girl that was a grade older than you? But <laughs> Oh, you were and are adorable. <laughs> and so we, uh, we went for a nice walk along the waterfront, had a little fun just hanging out. And then we... Um, we went to dinner, but our first fight happened as soon as we got out of the car to go to dinner. Yes, because I, you had put my purse in the trunk and I remembered as we started walking away that I needed to get my money so I could pay for my portion of dinner. See, I grew up in a poor neighborhood. <clears throat> I uh, My first job, I lied about my age, falsified my birth certificate, this is before I knew Jesus, and I was a clerk at a 7-Eleven selling lotto tickets, beer to people that were much older than me, but I had a beard and I've had this <laughs> voice since I was about four. So I've had a beard since I was about five. Kindergarten was rough for me. Um, but so, I, so I'm working at the, at the store and I, I grew up in a rough neighborhood. I even got held up. Somebody came in, literally, it was a 7-Eleven behind a strip club, rough part of town next to the airport, came in with a gun and held it up. I'm like 15 or 16 or something. And they're like, give me the, I'm like, put it, I'm not going to die for the 7-Eleven. Like, <laughs> it's not going to say on my tombstone, you know, he went down in glory for the Slurpee machine. <laughs> so for me, I was used to a lot of violence and danger. So I automatically put your purse in the trunk just to kind of secure it. 
and we're going to go to dinner. And you, why do you need to get your purse? Do you think what's going on in your 17 year old, beautiful brain? <laughs> well, I'd kind of been in a bad relationship before that. And so I figured if I paid for my portion, you know, then we were just equal on the date. There wasn't any obligation to anything. <laughs> Yeah, so you had such a dysfunctional dating <laughs> perspective. You're thinking, if I let him take me to Red Robin, I'm going to be in debt. Yes. Yeah, okay, so I apologize <laughs> for that. So I did not want to get your purse out of the trunk. I wanted to buy you dinner And I reached Robin, for the keys and the keys. Because I'm fancy. Yeah. yeah, so you went to grab my keys out of my hand, first date. And they went down the sewer grate They fell the out of my hands. <laughs> into the sewer grate, down to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles living below. And there we are, first date. And what did you do? Do you remember what you did? You, you got a cute little smile and you laughed, which was completely impossible to have an argument with. It was an incredibly powerful tactic. <laughs> it's an adorable superpower. But then we can't go to dinner because my car keys are down the grate. So then, do you remember what we did next, trying to get my keys out of the we sewer We went grate? on a scavenger hunt to every business downtown trying to get string and a magnet so that we and could put it down. <laughs> <laughs> and this was before phones. It was before anything that makes sense today. <laughs> And so we finally got a flashlight, a string, and a magnet, and come to find my key is? Aluminum. Aluminum. So cannot pick up my key. <laughs> so now we're deep into the first date slash first fight. But it so was your only key to that car. It was my car, only so key to the car. that's why it was your fault. <laughs> it was my fault. Again, man, write that down. It was my fault. So then I call my dad, who's a construction worker. He shows up with all of his tools. We take the cover off of the downtown sewer. We jump down, thankfully it's not super wet, and we grab the keys and we start our first date. So our first date started with a fight. Mm -hmm. When we got married, you know, four and a half years later, we dated four and a half years, I became a Christian in there and we stopped sleeping together and made all kinds of pivots once, you know, we started walking with Jesus. So we did it all wrong. If you did it all wrong, the good news is God can make it right. That's right. Um, but did the fight stop once we got married? Did we stop having the arguments and the conflicts and the disagreements? No. We never really figured out how to communicate about things. And we tried all kinds of tactics to work around the real issues. But we didn't learn how to communicate and express our frustrations and address issues in each other's lives. And I was thinking back on it, uh, our honeymoon. So do, do you remember Do you remember leading up to our wedding and the wedding day, what that season was like? I mean, we were young, we we're 21. We worked nonstop trying to get as much money as we could to go back to college and start our new life together. We're between our junior and senior year. Of college. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's two kinds of broke. There's there's broke and then there's married in college broke. Mm -hmm. So we were married in college broke. Couldn't afford the dollar theater at that point. No, 99 cent was our big fancy date night. And we would go to Pizza Pipeline and get a slice and a pop for $1.50. I think the number was 30, 509-332-1111, I think was the number for Pizza Pipeline. Mm. And so I ordered so much pizza in college that actually 30 years later, I know the number. And so we'd go get a slice, we'd get a pop, and we'd go to the 99 cent movie theater. That was our first year. And we were absolutely flat broke, but we were together. Do you remember the uh, honeymoon? We got kind of a, maybe a week away. Mm -hmm. We yep. drove down to the Oregon coast. Yep. Do you remember where we stayed? 
at a bed and breakfast along the river. Yeah, it was really elegant was and beautiful. lovely. I don't think you remember the conversation Mm-mm. that we had with the bed and breakfast owner, but they were Christian. We didn't know that till we arrived. And to me, it really stuck with me. And it, it leads into our discussion today on spiritual warfare that after the wedding comes the war. So we worked through a lot. We got married. We're on our honeymoon. We're checking in at the bed and breakfast. And uh, the woman who was a Christian, she felt like God spoke to her. And she said, I just feel like I'm supposed to share something with you. I was like, okay. And you were with me, but apparently you don't remember. <laughs> um, and she said, in this profound was a word for you, not for me. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I could see this theme of I'm the problem. Um, and so um, she said, I want you to hold hands and remember this. She said, uh, you are not one another's enemy, but you have an enemy. Like, you seriously don't remember that? (laughs) No, but I repeated it two years later. (laughs) It was a profound, defining moment in our relationship that you have no recollection of. I'm very sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And it just dawned on me in that moment, like, it's not just Grace and I and the Lord. There is an enemy of the Lord and Grace and I, and he hates marriage because it reflects Jesus' love for the church. And... My false sort of assumption, I think, at that time was like a lot of people, and that is, now that we're finally married, things are going to get easier. Mm -hmm. That's sadly not true, unfortunately. If you don't make a plan for it to be good, then the enemy will come in and make it horrible. Well, and this is the story of Genesis 3. So Genesis is not just what happens, it's what always happens. Mm -hmm. And there, there's a wedding, and it's actually the best wedding ever. God officiates it. And you know that they married the right person because there's only two of them. So there's really no doubt you married the right person. <laughs> and if you're listening to this and wondering, did I marry the right person? Well, if you married them, yes, that's yes. the right person. And then what happens is Satan shows up and immediately after the wedding comes the war. And so for us, spiritual warfare begins at home and it begins with the marriage. And Satan attacks the marriage. And so right after the wedding comes the war. And what happens for Adam and Eve is for them, the temptation was there's some forbidden fruit in the middle of the relationship. And so it says of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that it was in the middle of the garden. And what I'm submitting is for every married person and every married couple, there is forbidden fruit. There's something that's not off in the periphery. It's in the middle of the relationship and you need to walk by it. Otherwise, you're going to get into trouble. Adam and Eve, they partook of the forbidden fruit, and we've been dealing with the consequences ever since. For men, this can include uh, pornography, emotional infidelity. This can include alcohol, addiction, gambling, drinking, hobbies, uh, selfishness of any sort or kind. Every one of us has got some forbidden fruit that's hanging right in the center of the relationship. And for men, there's a short list of common things that we've got to learn to walk by, acknowledging that, man, if we partake of that, we are literally inviting demonic forces into our life and relationship to destroy us. What would some of those things be for women that would count as the forbidden fruit that they need to learn to walk by? Um, Anything that gets our focus off of our husband as our our priority after God. So so So, hit that real quickly. For a woman, what would her priorities be? God, husband, kids. Kids. And how easy is it for a woman to have her kids maybe even take God's place or at least the husband's place and have the priorities out of order? Very easy because kids keep you busy and there's always something to do for them because they're 100% dependent on you. And they make everything seem urgent Mm -hmm. by throwing a fit or a tantrum or a crisis. 
But the best thing to teach them is that they aren't more important than your spouse and that they do need to wait and they do need to learn patience and self-control. And so this is where the spiritual warfare even comes into the marriage and family where the wife loves the kids but gets the priorities out of order and then the husband gets jealous and angry mm -hmm. toward the wife and toward the kids because he feels like I'm working all day oftentimes to provide for a wife who doesn't care for me and she just uses me to take care of the children I'm getting taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's right, but that's how many men feel. Mm -hmm. Other forbidden fruit that tends to hang on the tree in the middle of the marriage for women I think comparison is one of the worst killers of marriage, and it's one of the most unfruitful things that we can let into our mind as women. We compare other women's husbands. We compare things on social media. I wish my husband was this. Um, wish we, my life was that. My mm -hmm, car was that. My house mm -hmm, was that. My kids were that. Mm -hmm. My vacation was that. Yeah, and I think discontent in the heart breeds that. And then we start looking around wishing that we had a different life. And we need to be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And we need to be content with the life God has given us and make it fruitful. So we need to have a plan to make it good and not just wish it was good or wish it was different. The grass is not greener on the other side. <laughs> well, and so you bring it up too. Part of the spiritual warfare, First John says, is the lust of the eyes. Mm -hmm. So Talk, I mean, for guys, the obvious is pornography. But for a lot of moms and wives, social media is the lust of the eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an image of how they appear to people, how they want to appear to people. This is, you know, the perfect cake that I made. This is my perfect house that I have clean for this hour of the day. <laughs> you know, these are my kids all dressed up in their best clothes. Um, this is the DIY project I just did. Um, it doesn't deal with reality of a mom, a wife. It just shows what you wish your whole life looked like every day, every moment. So do you think social media is even part of the world strategy, which is empowered by the devil? So Martin Luther said the world of flesh and the devil are the three categories of spiritual warfare. The world is an organized system in opposition to God. The flesh is our internal desires for discontent and, and mm -hmm. wanting things that are yeah. not healthy and good for us. And then what this culminates in is the, the devil, the demonic, is at work behind it. So he's empowering the world to tempt us. So that external temptation leads to this internal temptation that culminate in this utter destruction. So how much do you think Satan even uses social media? Well, constantly, but I don't use social media because I know it would be a weakness for me. And so I just don't even participate in it, and it's not because it's a sin, but I think it's hard to have self-control in the social media realm. I think a lot of time gets spent and potentially wasted on social media rather than investing in marriage or family. And how much do you, so if lying is one of the tactics of the enemy, John 8, Satan is a liar, the father of lies. Lying is his native tongue. He's bilingual, but his, 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 his primary language is lying. How much of social media is really demonic? Because it really is lying. It's misrepresenting reality. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is that. And I think, you know, if we spend as much time investing in how we want people to think we are, look or are, as we do actually working in and on our lives, it would be a lot more fruitful. So in this, we're talking in the category spiritual warfare, but how it applies to marriage. Priorities out of order discontent, 
looking at junk on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at, following social media influencers who really are liars. Mm -hmm. I mean, what they're presenting is not reality. I mean, right now it's, you know, it's a season where a lot of people have been home, they're homeschooling their kids. We know that they don't look perfect. We know that they put on weight. We know that the reason that they're giving us a glamour shot of their perfectly manicured hair and makeup <laughs> is because you know they're wearing sweatpants underneath so you never get the whole shot. Mm -hmm. And so within that, when Adam and Eve are created by God, everything is fine and good, very good. Then there's a wedding, yay! And then there's a war, Satan shows up. There's some forbidden fruit in the middle of their relationship that they choose not to walk by, but to partake of, and we all do. And the, and the situation is all of our forbidden fruit is different. What tempts you may not tempt me. So we can't judge each other. My fruit is better than your fruit. What tempts me is better than what tempts you. We've all got our thing. When they partake of that which is forbidden, how do they respond? What happens to the marriage that doesn't walk by the forbidden fruit, but partakes of it. Division, it starts to break them up as a couple. And I think if something, the test for me is if something doesn't build my relationship with Christ or build our marriage or build my parenting or build something good and positive and, and godly in my life, then I don't need to participate in it. And things can be fun, but they may not be building my life in a the right direction. And so for me, that's kind of my test and my question. And that's different. Like you said, it's different for everyone. Some people can participate in social media and it does build their relationship with the Lord or with other people. If you have a friend that doesn't point you to Jesus, if you have, you know, anything in your life that isn't pointing you toward a strong relationship with the Lord and your spouse, it, it could potentially be doing a lot of damage instead. It might not be neutral in your life. And we need to ask those questions. So with Adam and Eve too, all of a sudden they have shame. The Bible says previously they were naked, no shame. So when spiritual warfare hits the relationship, you know that the devil is involved when there's shame. Explain Absolutely. that. Yeah, I think, um, I know for us, that was something that I quickly felt um, in our relationship. And it wasn't necessarily because you were putting that on me, but it was because of the unhealth I carried into our marriage. And I already had shame that I brought into our marriage. So it just escalated whenever you would say something, even if it was little, that shame just increased in my life. And that's what the enemy likes to do is continue to break us down. And for women, um, shame is, you can either respond to shame um, by letting God heal it and take it away. Um, he scorned the shame on the cross, and so we don't need to live out of shame. Um, or you can put a wall up and pretend like it's not there and just become super independent and aggressive and I'm fine and not deal with it, which isn't helpful and it doesn't um, benefit your life or your marriage. Um, or women cower, and you can see in a woman's posture when they feel ashamed. They walk with their head down. They aren't joyful. They seem really fearful. They don't make eye contact. Yeah. They, they say, I'm sorry a lot mm -hmm. for things that yeah. were not wrong. Exactly. And so shame is a real issue, and, and we can't ignore it because it doesn't help the marriage relationship. And a husband doesn't always know what to do with shame. And if he escalates and gets frustrated by it, it actually causes more shame on the woman. And so a husband really needs to be cautious and careful how he brings out those issues with his wife and lovingly walks through those with her. Another thing that happens when Adam and Eve 
partake of the forbidden fruit. They lose the spiritual war. They cover up. They literally cover themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can't see. Intimacy is intimacy. It's like you can't see me. I can't see you. What does it look like in a marriage for a husband and or a wife when spiritual warfare has occurred? And you know it's occurred because now I'm I'm covering myself from you and I'm also hiding from you and I'm hiding from God. And that's what they do. They cover, they have shame, they they try to cover it themselves rather than bring it to the Lord. And then they hide from the Lord and they hide from one another. Practical ways that this happens for a couple in a marriage relationship. Well, again, I mean, we can bring this in from even before marriage. And so we just repeat it as we're married. For me in high school, I remember believing um, the gospel was for everyone else, that Jesus forgave everyone on the Everyone cross. else is clean. Yeah. Everyone else is forgiven. Everyone yep. gets a new start. Everyone, you know, is is loved and yep. pure and fine. Except but my for- junk was too bad. And so I needed to live ashamed of my junk and somehow earn God's love that's so twisted and backwards. That's such a lie of the enemy. And so I brought that feeling into the marriage of being too messed up to be forgiven. And then for me, because you were strong and and you knew the word and were growing in the Lord, it I wanted to hide even more because I wanted to hide those things and I that I thought if the Lord doesn't love me, certainly my husband can't love me if he knows these things about me. And some things were big, some things were little, but I didn't even give you the opportunity to love me through those things because I wanted to hide. I wanted to put that fig leaf on and and not even give you the opportunity to um, walk me through that and love me through well, that. And I think you bring up something there, honey, where... You grew up in a Christian environment. Your dad was a pastor. You grew up in the church. Your mom and dad knew and loved the Lord. They believed the scriptures. They honored the Lord Jesus. You knew the Lord from a young age. How old do you think you were when you first started to have a personal relationship with Jesus? I accepted Christ at three. And I remember loving Jesus deeply and very simply, um, but deeply, really knowing Jesus and loving Jesus all the way up through middle school. And it wasn't until I hit high school when I really started to wonder if God loved me um, after recognizing some of the issues in my life. And for me, I didn't know the Lord until 19. And for me, I got saved in a way that was like, not a dimmer switch a little bit at a time. It was like an on-off switch. Like, I don't know Jesus, now I do. I don't want to know the Bible, now I do. I don't want to go to church, now I do. I mean, literally for me, it was it was a really quick, very significant pivot in my life. And I think for a lot of people, they have an experience that's either like yours or like mine. I think for those who grew up in the church and grew up in the Word, sins that they have committed or sins that have been committed against them, various aspects of spiritual warfare that cause them shame, covering up, hiding, and also result in fear. All these things we see in Genesis 3 when spiritual warfare comes to our first parents and their marriage covenant. I think it's harder to process when you grew up knowing the Lord because it's like, if I knew the Lord, why would I be here? If I knew the Lord, why would these things happen? If I knew the Lord, why would I make these decisions? And now I feel really guilty because I did have the Lord and I still lost my battles. For people like me that got saved later, oftentimes like, I didn't know Jesus, now I do. So for me, it was really easy just to literally take all of that, just push the lever and flush it. Like, hey, Jesus died, it's over. I get a, I get a fresh, clean start. Mm-hmm. So for me, I felt like when Jesus and I 
kind of got synced up, everything prior to that didn't count. But for you, Jesus was in the middle of all of your sins and struggles and the sins that were committed against you. And I think this is true in a lot of marriages. This would be a great conversation for the couples. You know, has Jesus been someone that you walked with or was it someone that you started walking with later in life? And for those that know the Lord from an earlier age, it can be harder to live free from the shame and the guilt and the hiding and the fig leaf making and the fear. I think, at least in my experience, for those of us who meet the Lord later, it's a lot easier just to start. Because it's like, well, I didn't, I didn't know Jesus till today. Yeah. So he fixed everything prior to today and he's gonna help me with everything going forward. For those that are listening, um, here's the big idea. Satan attacks marriage, that he doesn't even show up till Adam and Eve are married, and he is seeking to get them to partake of forbidden fruit. We've all got our forbidden fruit. It's in the middle of the garden. It's in the middle of your relationship. At some point, we all fall into the same trap. We partake of the forbidden fruit. When we do, we feel ashamed, we cover up, we hide from God and one another, and we're filled with fear that we're going to be found and found out. The good news is, and I want to end with the hope of the gospel, God then shows up in Genesis 3, and he preaches the gospel for the first time, the good news of Jesus. The theologians call it the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first gospel. And he promises Jesus is coming, and he is going to defeat the dragon. He is going to crush the serpent's head, Satan, and he is going to be wounded. So it's talking about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. The good news is that Jesus comes into human history as a human being and that Jesus endures spiritual warfare. Satan tries to kill him when he's a baby. Satan tempts him as a grown man. And the story of Jesus is that the war that Adam lost in the garden got him kicked out into the wilderness. Jesus comes as the last or second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, Romans 5, and he has a battle with Satan in the wilderness. The same place that Adam and Eve were kicked into is the place where Jesus comes to have his battle against Satan. And what happens is that Jesus won your war. Amen. This is the good news, that Adam and Eve lost, okay? Grace and Mark Driscoll lost. Every person and couple in the history of the world has lost. Mm -hmm. And if you've lost, you say, I'm ashamed, I'm fearful, I'm embarrassed, I'm hiding. Yeah, so what you need is victory. You don't need to pretend that you're victorious. You need to trust the one who is victorious. So Jesus has spiritual warfare and he goes to the cross and he substitutes himself and he suffers and dies in our place for our sins. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says that he went to the cross and he canceled the record of debt that was held against us. Everything you have ever done, everything you have ever failed to do, all the sins that you have committed, all the sins that have been committed against you were literally written, spiritually speaking, in the unseen realm on the cross of Jesus. And it says that he disarmed the powers, principalities, and spirits, triumphing over them, making an open public spectacle in shame. The cross of Jesus is the culmination of spiritual warfare. And Satan owned you till Jesus died for you that Satan ruled you until Jesus died for you, that Satan had a right to you until Jesus died for you. When Jesus died for you, he didn't just forgive your sins, he also made you clean in his sight. We'll get into that in a future episode. He also defeated, disarmed uh, the powers, principalities, and demonic forces against you. 
And what this means is you don't need to be tough. You need Jesus. You don't need to try harder. You need Jesus. You don't need to do better. You need Jesus. You don't need to win your war. You need Jesus who won your war. Amen. Do you really believe that Jesus not only forgave your sin, but made you clean, sweetheart, and has defeated all of the demonic forces that have a battle plan for your life and our relationship? I do now. And when I doubt it, then I ask the Lord to to tell me again, to remind me of his truth, that he's already won this battle and I just need to walk with him in it. And, and so in closing, what I would submit to you is this, Jesus' authority has been delegated to you. Mm-hmm. That if you are in Christ positionally, you hold the authority of Christ practically. When tempted, when lies come, when the forbidden fruit is hanging on the tree in the middle of the relationship, You need to exercise your God-given authority, like Zechariah and Jude say, the Lord rebuke you. Mm -hmm. You use the authority of the Lord to walk in victory over the enemy that he has already defeated. And here's the great news for the Christian. Jesus didn't die for demons. They can't be forgiven. Jesus only died for people. You and I are given this tremendous opportunity to walk in the victory of Jesus and the freedom that he gives. And that's where Jesus says, you know, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. That's the freedom that he provides. So if you're listening to this and you're saying, I've got a marriage problem, I've got a temptation problem, I've got forbidden fruit in the middle of my life and relationship, what do I do? Well, first you need to trust in what Jesus has done. And when he says on the cross, it is finished, he has completed all of the work, he has defeated the enemy, he has given you tremendous victory, and now you can walk in his freedom and authority. And don't just believe it, believe it for yourself. Believe it for yourself and believe it for your spouse. That's right. My hope for you is in Jesus. My hope for us is in Jesus. My hope for those who are listening is in Jesus. And so friend, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, that's exactly what you need to do. Yes, we wanna help you. Yes, we wanna help your marriage. And until Jesus is your first priority and most important relationship, Nothing else in your life will be right, and no relationship with anyone in your life will be healthy. I just want to publicly honor Jesus. We wouldn't be together. We wouldn't be married. We wouldn't be happy. Things wouldn't be good, but they are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so we leave you with that word. How's it going with Jesus?